Hello, and welcome to Disneyversity, the podcast crash course through the history of Disney's animated classics, where we talk about some of the most famous movies ever made that most of us probably don't know nearly as well as we think. Each episode, we'll be moving forward in time through the legendary Disney catalogue, watching every feature film in the Walt Disney Animation Studios vault, from Snow White to Frozen 2, seeing how they stand up today, how they pushed the boundaries of animation, shaped the legacy of Walt Disney and the wider Disney brand, and how they influence pop culture at large. <laughs> A brief disclaimer, this is not an official Disney podcast, but all of these films are available to stream now on Disney+, Plus. so come on, watch along with us, and let's learn together. I'm film journalist Ben Travis, and while I wish upon a star every night before bed, I'm not your Disneyversity lecturer. No, this week I'm just a sleepy skunk trying to make it through the winter without waking up from hibernation as we watch through 57 films and counting. Our Prince of the Forest, however, is none other than Dr. Sam Summers, our guide through one of the most groundbreaking and beloved animated movie catalogues of all time. Sam, how's it going? Did you like having a more regal introduction this week, our, our Prince of the Forest? Yeah, last week I was what? I was the smartest clown that you know. This week I'm mm-hmm. the Prince of the Forest. I do, I get a little bit uncomfortable with how highfalutin some of these introductions get. I'd rather be the clown than the prince, I think. So if you feel a little bit uncomfortable, I probably shouldn't show you the painting that I did of you standing <laughs> proud in the forest framed by trees. No, I'll just leave that off to the side. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that'd be for the best. Thank you, please. <laughs> and I'll keep in mind to give you more disparaging intros in future. I'll just dunk on you every week. <laughs> and so how, how are you feeling about Bambi? Are you looking forward to this one? Is this a Sam Summers favourite? It is not. Well, it, oh, it's, it's not not a favourite. I rank it low in terms of the films that we've just watched. It's my least favourite film that we've covered so far, I think. It's not immensely exciting to me to boot up Bambi, but there's a lot to love about it, which hopefully we'll be able to get into today. That's interesting. And and this is the end of the big five, the opening five Disney films, this sort of run of, as you said at the at the very beginning of the podcast, this sort of run of classics. It gets into some interesting territory after this one. It's come around quickly already. Yeah, it feels like it's absolutely flown by, like a deer in flight trying to escape the aim of a hunter, the bullet of a hunter. And I, <laughs> I, I lost myself on that metaphor quite quickly. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's gone by fairly fast, these first five films. Um, I'm interested to talk to you at some point about how you felt they kind of hang together and how this journey has felt for you going through these first five films and whether you think like I do that they are pretty much unimpeachable stone cold classics we'll find out i think anyone who's listened to the other episodes so far probably knows that i don't think of them as unimpeachable stone cold (laughs) classics but it has been a lot of fun and i think after this episode we'll probably do a little roundup of these first five of this sort of capsule within the the wider disney catalog more on that later but enough waffle from us we're all sat down the register is complete and it's time for class to begin This time, after the melancholic plight and eventual flight of Dumbo, we go frolicking in the fields with a pastoral classic that goes by the name of Bambi. So Sam, we've come to Bambi. Everyone knows it's a sad one. We've come off a kind of sad one with Dumbo. There was a a melancholic vibe there and there's another melancholic vibe coming up. But what can you tell us about the overall plot of Bambi? 
Well, it's not a particularly plot-heavy film. In terms of the overall plot, it's probably the lightest on the ground so far, right? It's pretty thin. And basically, Bambi is born, Bambi lives, Bambi's mother dies, and then Bambi sires children of his own. And the circle of life, such as it is, is complete. During that time, Bambi meets... Uh, friends such as Thumper the Rabbit and Flower the Skunk, and eventually Faline the female deer. Door, that's what they're called, famously. <laughs> Someone should write a song about that so it's easier to remember. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll make a note to do that. So yeah, Bambi meets these friends, he meets his eventual lover, and he is constantly having to escape from the devious machinations of the hunters, known only as man collectively, who besiege the forest and eventually, tragically, murder his mother. Yikes. That's the bit that everyone remembers. I, I spent the whole of Bambi. This is not a film that I knew particularly well. I, I have seen it before and there were all sorts of, as we've mentioned in other weeks, sort of just images and little sequences here and there that felt familiar. But the one thing that everybody knows about Bambi going into it is that Bambi's mum gets shot. And so I spent the whole time watching it like... It was quite tense. I didn't know where it was coming because in previous weeks, we were talking about Dumbo last week. And the big thing about Dumbo is he's the flying elephant. He uses his ears to fly. That doesn't come in until like five minutes before the end of the film. So with Bambi's mum, I was like, I don't know when that's coming. Is that the the sort of thing that sets the whole plot in motion? Is that something that comes towards the end after he's sort of grown up quite a bit? So I was on edge with the with the Bambi's mum stuff. So did you see it as a kid? Yeah, I think I probably did. I have vague recollections of us having the VHS. It was never one that I returned to. I think as you mm-hmm. alluded to, it's not their like kiddiest film. It's actually quite a mature film from Disney. I think one of my feelings about it, I have many feelings about this one actually, uh, but, but one of them is a sort of criticism of it is that on the one hand, it's a more mature Disney film. It's got a very kind of relaxed pace. It's about you getting lost in this scenario and this place and in the forest, in that lifestyle. And at the same time, it's kind of kiddie-ish. The thumper escapades, it kind of plays both at the same time in a way that they don't quite meet in the middle. But yeah, it wasn't what I watched massively as a kid. And actually, returning to it now, <laughs> you said it's your least favourite of the big five that we've been watching. It might actually be the one that I enjoyed the most so Whoa. far. Okay, yeah. wow. I love that. So I think there was something about it that reminded me a bit of Studio Ghibli of something like My Neighbor Totoro in the sense that for so much of it, it's very, very plot light. It's set in this lush pastoral setting. It's about you just getting lost in this place and in this sort of, for the most part, sweet environment where everything feels lush and green and loving until the big bad thing happens and nothing like that happens in My Neighbor Totoro. That's a film without a villain, without any sort of bad stuff happening in it. That's not really the case with Bambi, obviously, as it gets into the dead mum stuff. But for the most part, I don't know, it had this sort of laid back vibe that I really appreciated. And actually, after Bambi's mum gets shot, there was loads of stuff there that I didn't know about and that was probably my favorite stuff in the film the whole sense of it being a loop of the circle of life because it it does have a actually a real lion king before the lion king thing happening um i sort of really appreciated the cyclical nature of it and i I had chills by the end of it the fact that it ends sort of where it begins and yeah i really enjoyed this without really knowing what to expect going in i'm really glad that you did even though it's my least favourite, I still like it very much for all the reasons that you've described. 
And there's a lot of things in there that I, I do want to pick up on as we we'll go through. And another thing that I know about you, Ben, is that you love coming of age films. So I had I that do. pinned as something you might like about this. And it is totally a coming of age film, more so even than maybe even Pinocchio, which we settled on that being the through line that it's him learning how to be a real boy and having to take responsibility. And, and that's a sort of coming of age thread. But this, you, he literally goes from being born to being effectively a teenager and then becoming big man stag at the end that was a great arc and i really enjoyed seeing that whole thing play out so yes that yeah. i think i think that is why it did click for me i think it happens more organically than in pinocchio as well right because in pinocchio as much as i love it every step along the journey it's like here's the lesson you're going to learn from this at this point you're going to learn um not to lie at this point you're going to learn not to smoke and drink or whatever at this point you're going to learn to be courageous it's very kind of didactic and moralistic all the way through overtly and with bambi it's not quite so cut and dry it's more um natural i guess which is you know nature is going to be a buzzword throughout this whole thing but the, the progression is more natural and more kind of true to life i feel there isn't morality to nature. It's just, I think that's something that felt quite refreshing for it, that it didn't feel like a morality tale. It felt like, obviously, it's it's heightened and it's stylized and it's anthropomorphized animals. But at the same time, it is in a sort of Fantasia sense. I'm going to bring up Fantasia a lot in this episode as well. Okay. In a Fantasia sense, it felt like, you know, we were talking about with the dinosaur section of Fantasia, that it was like, oh, here's how they thought the world began and dinosaurs rose and fall as presented through animation, this felt a bit like, let's just try and present life in the forest through this character. And there will be like sort of playful stylized stuff within there. But as a general aim, it, it kind of felt like, yeah, let's just try and show a slice of life through the life cycle of, of this one creature. So I've got some questions for you about this one. Okay. Dumbo, as we discussed, was a bigger hit for Disney. They took a couple of hits after the huge success of Snow White. Things were a bit wobbly with Pinocchio and with Fantasia. Dumbo was a hit for them. And as you said, they sort of made it fast and cheap. And that was the first Disney film that took us inside the animal's point of view, which is a very Disney thing. So is that, do we think, why they followed it up with Bambi, where we get the same vantage point on the story? We're positioned with the animals? I think that's more interesting coincidence. Um, and obviously there are a lot of other parallels between Bambi and Dumbo as well. The kind of the relationship between the mother and son, this kind you know, Dumbo's mother doesn't die, but she is imprisoned and it has a similar effect on Dumbo as it does to Bambi. The fact that these are the first two Disney films set in America as well, because Pinocchio and Snow White are both set in Europe and based very yeah. much on european fairy tales dumbo is based on an american book set in america bambi is based on an austrian novel relocated to america and the change the species of deer from the novel specifically to set it in america so i think that's a very interesting point of comparison there as well but bambi had been in production since when they were making snow white bambi was originally planned to be the second film and mm. it was absolutely labored over throughout most of that time like it really did take five years to produce on and off and they were getting distracted by Pinocchio and Fantasia along the way but a lot of work went into this in terms of bringing deers both live and dead into the studio for people to draw for people to copy for people to understand how deers moved and behaved and you know rabbits and skunks and everything as well huh. and the adaptation process took a long time there's an excellent documentary on Disney plus where they kind of go through all of the story meetings for this they've got read out the transcripts for the story meetings 
which is well worth a watch. And you can see how belabored the adaptation process was there as well. Because Walt wanted this to be the most lifelike film he'd made to that point. Mm. And for that reason, it just took a long, long time to get it to its finished state. It's interesting to hear you say that because that sort of tallies with my impression of it, watching it and not knowing that context. Like I said, it feels like them trying to capture what life is like in a forest with some other sort of heightened stuff going on. Um, you really feel that. I, it's I, Hopefully they treated all the animals well when they brought them into the studio for them to be oh. sort of drawing the deers and things. We'll see. I don't know. It was Hollywood in the 40s, so who knows on that one. And you mentioned that it is an adaptation of an Austrian novel. I think this isn't one that I particularly knew was based on a book. It's not compared to something like Pinocchio or Snow White. It's not as famously adapted. It's interesting on the poster, on the original Bambi poster, it says the sort of tagline for it is the famous book of the month becomes the picture of the year. So it was a big deal at the time then that Bambi was being adapted from from a hit book. And Felix Sultan, who is the author of the book, was a hunter. What's up with that? Yeah, okay. So there's a couple of questions in one there, Ben. Thank you for that. <laughs> I have a lot of questions. Yeah, so in terms of it being based on the book, yes, the book was a hit. I mean, you can see on the poster as well, the poster is the book. It's an illustration of the book with the picture of Bambi on the front. Um, so it was a big hit. And this is also kind of the first roughly contemporary novel that Disney are adapting. And they're also adapting it much more closely than they did Pinocchio, which was an older novel. And then obviously Snow White is a fairy tale so it wasn't really based on a specific source text and Dumbo was a book that they kind of acquired before it was put out so in terms of adapting a recent hit novel this was the first time Disney had really attempted it um, in terms of the author being a hunter yeah I looked into this as well and I I'm trying to wrap my head around it I'm sure out there it exists someone kind of rationalizing the fact that he wrote this novel because the novel itself and then especially the film have become decried by hunters like hunters hate you know you know th th there are people who believe that hunting is a legitimate pursuit it's a legitimate sport i'm not a huge fan but you know it has its defenders also not a fan <laughs> yeah oh yeah just to put that out there just to put but, that out there also not a fan and i think watching bambi doesn't help because everything's nice until the hunters turn up everything is lovely and yeah, exactly. No Game hunters hate this movie because the sort is like slander. The sort is like mm. anti-hunting propaganda, which in a sense it is. But it is difficult to rationalise that with with the author being a hunter. Perhaps he uh, had a change of heart at some point. One bit of trivia that I do want to mention that I'm not sure where else I'm going to fit it in is that in 2018 <laughs> in Missouri, a man was arrested for poaching deer, and as punishment, he was sent to prison for a year and forced to watch Bambi at least once a month. No way. Yeah, and. <laughs> My favourite part about that is at least once a at month. At least. If he wanted to watch it more, <laughs> if it really grew on him, and he wanted to do a doubler, then he could. <laughs> wow. That sounds like a kind of entertaining sentence. Maybe not if you're a hunter and you don't want to feel the guilt. Maybe the author was feeling some guilt. Maybe he was haunted by dreams of a mother deer. And he was like, oh, I've got to make this right. I will create the ultimate text that's going to make people sympathetic with these uh, with these animals. Yeah, quite possibly. And the other thing is that he was a Jew living in Austria. And there is a reading of this as a kind of parable about the Jewish experience in Central Europe at that time. And for that reason, the Nazis banned it. So Wow. Okay, so what is it, a sort of allegory as, as the, the hunter and the hunted? Yeah, yeah, something like that. 
Oh, wow. Okay, so should we dig into the film itself then? Should we begin our our main discussion? Let's get into... Oh, I was going to say, let's get into the meat of Bambi. That doesn't sound right, but we'll we'll go with it. We'll go with it. Like I said earlier on in the podcast, one thing that I really liked about Bambi was how cyclical it was. And it starts with this song that is also the end of the film and that tips you into the fact that this is going to be a cyclical experience. It has a lot of foreshadowing in it. It feels very melancholic right from the beginning. And that song, actually, I don't know if it's called this, but the main refrain of it goes, love is a song that never ends. Completely didn't know about this song, hadn't remembered anything about it, thought it was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and it was nominated for an Oscar. Um, it was it was a well-loved song at the time. I think as a whole, this film has the weakest soundtrack of the films we've watched so far. It has the least memorable tunes. I mean, there's April Shower is the only one that's kind of really persisted as a pop culture staple. Ben, you've got a face that looks like you might disagree. <laughs> No, no, it's just the phrase Bambi doesn't have bars popped into my head <laughs> and that made me chuckle. Uh, yeah, it does have a weaker set of songs overall um, yeah. and the songs are deployed in a kind of different way. They are deployed in a very different way. It's the first film that you could contest isn't a musical and some would argue that it is a musical, but the songs here are not performed by the characters. Not all of them are in Dumbo either, but some of them were here. None of the songs are performed by the characters. They're purely um, there to soundtrack events. They're to soundtrack seasons most often enough. And yeah, this one, Love is a Song That Never Ends, has a lot of resonance throughout the film. I mean, first of all, love. It's foreground in the theme of love, which I don't think comes across as a particularly strong theme in the film, right? It definitely doesn't, from what I can tell, in the novel, which we'll talk about a bit later. But for me, and the poster foregrounds this as well, it calls it a love story. This film isn't really a love story. Love is a, it's a, it plays a functional role in this movie. I don't know. I kind of think it is, but not in an overblown way. And I think, again, that's something I liked about it, is that I think the love between Bambi and his mum is a very protective love. It is an instinctual, nurturing kind of love that they don't over sentimentalize that but there is a lot of i don't know for me there was a lot of feeling to it i don't think it's necessarily a love story between bambi and feline because feline's not really mm-hmm. it's, it's not particularly developed as a character i know they're all dear but you get you actually get quite a lot of characterization with bambi you sort of don't with feline so not in that sense but it it also feels a bit of a love story to to the forest to nature and I, I think that comes through in this song that 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 idea of love as a song that never ends is the love between Bambi and his mum, the love of Disney with nature, with this natural world that he was intent on capturing, on the cycles of nature that it, it never ends, it keeps going, and you get the sense that absolutely where Bambi ends up, that pretty much a similar story is going to play out unless we. unless that's not the case in bambi 2 straight to video oh we'll find out then we'll find out i'm looking forward to hearing more well because i would say that i I agree with what you say but i think that love is kind of presented here as part of love in all its forms as you as you rightly point out is presented here as part of like the tapestry of life you know it's part of a wider thing and i would say that perhaps a more apt refrain would be life is a song that never ends Mm. although later in the song it does say Life may be swift and fleeting, hope may die, 
yet loves beautiful music comes each day like the dawn. So perhaps that contradicts what I've just said. But I think I, I think life does go on in a very real way, even though an individual life may be fleeting, as we'll see on several occasions uh, in the film. Life goes on. Life is a circle. Life is what repeats. And love is an aspect of that. But I, th- I think it's interesting that the foreground that so much at this point in the film and on mm. the poster, when for me... Well, I'll talk about it towards the end, actually. But for me, it doesn't quite ring true as the film's central theme. So the reason I brought that up straight away is that that is the very first thing we hear. It plays over the very opening of the film. Something else before we get sort of stuck into the rest of the film is there is a message that comes up on the screen that says, To Sidney A. Franklin, our sincere appreciation for his inspiring collaboration. Who was Sidney A. Franklin? What's that dedication about? Because at the time I was thinking, oh, did he write the book? Or is that them, yeah, sort of shouting out the person who came up with the story? But obviously not. So Sidney Franklin was a director who worked at MGM. And he acquired the rights to the novel Bambi before Disney did with the very ambitious goal of making a live action film of Bambi with actual deer. Oh, wow. That seems tricky. Yeah. And then eventually Disney came to him and said, look, we know that legally you have the right to make this film. But they slowly managed to convince him that actually the story would be better served by animation, which at the time when he bought the rights, you know, he wouldn't have been aware that Disney were going to come along as this filmmaking force and be capable of making a film of Bambi like this. So he thought that live action was the best way to do it. But Disney convinced him that he should put his faith in them and then he worked alongside them as a creative consultant making the film so that's why he's in there right so he was a creative collaborator he is he allowed this film to happen sort of fairly graciously i guess if he absolutely yeah but i'm sure he got a wad of cash out of it as well (laughs) um so it worked for everyone in the end okay so once we have that introduction really the first like half an hour or so we're going to talk about little plot beats within there but there's not a huge amount of plot going on it's just immersing you in the forest i think the first two minutes or so of of the film it is just scenery it's just beautiful scenery it's just sending you deeper and deeper into this quite dark at times forest introducing you to all these little creatures there are owls and squirrels and chipmunks we spoke about the fact that this time we see it all from the animal's point of view but it struck me as well that a lot of those are animals that we saw in snow white it felt like a bit of a return to that world of that forest world of snow white uh, and all these lovely little sort of moments these snatched moments we see of, of this these natural lives of little baby birds fighting over berries that tiny mouse drinking the dew drop from the leaf oh so cute but the first thing that really happens is the birth of bambi that we find out about through thumper the little quite annoying rabbit we're going to get onto my thumper feelings in a bit but the first thing that really happens is thumper comes along and he says the new prince is born and that prince is bambi so we get a sense straight away that bambi isn't just any deer he has sort of ranking and he has status yeah very reminiscent of the lion king right or the lion king is reminiscent of this totally you get the animals kind of on their little pilgrimage almost to go and to go and witness the birth of Bambi. And I think there's a lot less attention paid here to the actual politics of the deer world and what the great prince's <laughs> role actually does and what the great prince's role actually is, what, what he does as a leader, how you become the prince. And um, because I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that the great prince is siren more than one son, right? I I feel like that's how deer work. I feel like he's probably got a few Hines in the fire, so to speak. Yeah, they probably thought that didn't fit with the whole love as a song that never ends if he's just going around like 
banging every doe, <laughs> siring all sorts of different children. But he is quite an aloof character, right? And I think that's when you get this first of several quite jarring tonal shifts. Although not not the most jarring tonal shift in the film, but you get this birth of Bambi, which is quite a sentimental event. Uh, and then you pan across to this figure who at, at this point is just a mysterious figure who we don't really know anything about, although a lot of people could probably intuit his relationship with Bambi, um, standing, looking over the whole thing. That shot, that panning shot is amazing. I loved that. I, I wrote that down in my notes that it, it feels such an ambitious shot. There's a The way that it's framed through the trees, I think the camera sort of zooms forward through lots of different layers of trees and we talked at the beginning of the of the series about what was the technique it's already the multi-plane camera a multi-plane camera yeah but this it really zooms through multiple multiple planes from one vantage point to a totally other vantage point and the framing of the big deer it feels <laughs> majestic it feels yeah. powerful and you're right it's a sort of jarring tonal shift but i think that moment really does hit I think obviously you get the sense that he's not a great dad, <laughs> that he's just like, mm. I am the man and you look after the baby. I will be over here on this big rock. But you also get a sense of the power of this mysterious figure who you think, right, he's going to come back later and we're going to find out more. Okay, so on the one hand, you have this really imposing figure of Bambi's dad, of the prince of the forest, stood up on the hill. On the other hand, like you said, we have all these little cutesy creatures mm. at Bambi's sort of baby level. I mentioned it briefly before, wasn't a huge Thumper fan. And I think a lot of the cutesiness going on here is kind of quite try-hard cutesy. I didn't find it as cute as they wanted it so desperately to be. And I think yeah. that's why I mentioned before, these sort of tones that didn't quite merge for me were that on the one hand it feels very grand and quite serious and on the other hand it is quite kiddish and i think some of that over cuteness was one one of the issues for me but I, what i will say is that the baby quails were incredibly cute that is where they succeeded all these little baby quails with the little yeah, roughly bits yeah. on the heads oh that was so good everything else not as cute as it was supposed to be yeah, okay, so that's that's an interesting take. I think that's probably fairly a common take, particularly from adults watching this. I don't mind Thumper that much. I feel like Thumper is fairly accurate as a depiction of a child, the way that he interacts with his mother. I quite like some of his dialogue, although the voice is kind of great. And So one thing I will say about the cute animals in this, one of the reasons why I think it jars so much and it feels like pandering, which I think is what it is, to a mass audience, I think they were worried about this very quite serious, formless, very rigidly, realistically animated in a lot of ways film, not appealing to the family audience. And one of the reasons why it feels so jarring is that these cute characters are drawn in a completely different style to a lot of the other characters in the film, right? To particularly the great prince and Bambi's mother and then the older Bambi as well, contrasts very strongly with characters like Thumper. One of the criticisms often leveled at this film, other than parts of it being too cute, is that it's it's too beholden to realist principles that it loses a lot of what made the older Disney films and what makes animation as a medium great. It loses this transformative quality that you see probably at its peak in Dumbo and the Pink Elephant sequence. But I don't think when you actually watch the film, that's 100% accurate. We'll talk a bit more about some of the other art styles used in the film when we get to them. But as soon as this 
film starts, you see concessions to a more cartoonish style. You get the chipmunk wrapping himself up in the squirrel's tail. That's like one of the first animals we see in the film after this like beautiful multi-plane track through that establishes this very realistic looking forest. Um, so you do get that contrast in terms of the, the styles, the way the animals are drawn. And I think you can almost see a correlation between realism and seniority realism and authority like the more realistically drawn characters um you've got to respect them you know and the the cuter characters they are there for kind of comic relief and i think a lot of the cutesiness is obviously while bambi himself is a kid while he's a baby he's a baby for much of the film and there's a a big time jump that comes later on and after that point pretty much all the cutesiness goes i think that's maybe why i enjoyed that section of the film more because that sort of slightly jarring combination of, of cutesiness and seriousness, it, it, it balanced out mm. and balanced out in favour of the more serious stuff. But I, it, maybe it's, yeah, getting you into Bambi's mindset and to his point of view as as a baby in the forest. I wasn't massively keen on Thumper. He was a bit dopey-ish. He was a bit yeah. dopey-ish. Where they're like really keen for you to love this character. And I'm like, oh, I'm not really into his shtick. And the same with Flower, the, the mm. skunk um that that joke wears thin quite quickly that he's just going to be called flower they they sort of uh try and repeat that a few times in a way that i was like it's not that great a joke you don't have to do this one loads of times but i think this whole opening half an hour or so where you were just getting immersed in the forest you're meeting these characters it felt to me in a good way like an extended fantasia sequence mm. and that feeling for me continued through the rest of the film as well because what we talked about in fantasia was that a lot of them whether it was intentional or incidental they focus on the passage of time the changing of seasons of nature of creatures in a natural environment and the fact that bambi as a film focuses on that for such a long time with a sort of constant musical undercurrent and songs that play quite a choric role Mm -hmm. it felt very fantasia to me and if i had an issue of fantasia it was that it was quite long and you're jumping between all these quite long segments having one segment that is longer and that you can just sort of get lost in i really liked that i really appreciated that and that recurs throughout right these little it's like every time we enter a new season we get these little tableaus or every time there's a new form of weather like drip drip drop little April shower we lose focus on bambi for a bit and just look at how all the other animals in the forest react and respond to it and what they're doing at this point during their kind of life cycle or hibernation cycle or whatever what are they doing at this point in the year which i think frames the film as a whole as being about the forest and being about nature and being about life as opposed to just being about this bambi character and while Bambi specifically is going to live and die, all of this is going to continue, you know, all of these other animals and the way that they live. And yeah, it's very reminiscent of Fantasia. It's very reminiscent of a string of early silly symphonies that were based around the season. So they did autumn, summer and spring, some of the early black and white films where it just it has no central character. It just pans through this landscape and we see you know owls and deer in in the winter one there's actually a sequence of a deer trying to ice skate so um yeah i think all of the disney films up to this point with the possible exception of pinocchio have been beholden to the structure of the silly symphonies in some way so we get these like extended 
kind of plotless slapstick sequences in Snow White and in Dumbo and in Fantasia. Obviously, it's all cut up into segments like a silly symphony anyway. And I think in Bambi, they blend it into the plot really, really well in a way that I hadn't quite. Or they the, the, maybe plot's the wrong word, but they blend these um, vignettes into the fabric of the film and the what the film's trying to do. And it's like they're all working towards the same purpose instead of distracting you from what's going on in the story. I totally felt that. I 100% agree with you that, yeah, it feels much more seamless the way that those are woven in. In some of the other films, it's like, okay, we're going to stop everything now to have this sequence that's happening. But because a lot of the songs are about the changes of the seasons and a lot of the film is about you just experiencing the passage of time and the changing of the seasons, those sequences feel like a really integral part of the film. They feel like the fabric of the film rather than the film having to stop for those sequences mm-hmm. to happen. So on that front, Drip, Drip, Drop, Little April Shower was, that's like the hit. That's the breakout yeah. hit. That's the lead single. I hadn't remembered that song was from Bambi. I knew that song, mm. of course, but I hadn't remembered that was from Bambi. And like you said, it's it's not the characters that are singing this. It's, it's I don't know, omniscient kind of voices offering their narration to the passage of time. I really liked how, obviously, that song is super onomatopoetic with the drip drip drop and the animation plays into that and then as the song ends you get it turns quite sinister there's all this howling wind there's the thunder crashes with i think cymbals and the choir turns into this sort of howling wind sound and for a moment the forest turns really sinister in the way in the same way that it did in snow white where in the darkness everything seems a bit more creepy and the wind picks up and everything just has this extra edge to it I thought that was a great sequence. Didn't know it was from Bambi. And yeah, it was good. (laughs) (laughs) Moving swiftly on. Moving swiftly on. We talked about Dumbo being sort of fast and cheap and they gave up on a lot of the effects shots. In this one, the effects animation is back. There is a gorgeous shot where you see the reflection of an orange and pink sky sort of reflected in the water and there's ripples on the water and there's animals moving past. Absolutely gorgeous. It feels... I was really impressed by the animation here in the film overall, but especially in these little moments, especially that they did that by hand. The sheer logistics of of working out these effect sequences is totally amazing. And I don't think I'd realized how much I missed that in Dumbo until it mm. came back in Bambi. Yeah, there's a lot of reference footage of actual water, like the, the filmed water. And I believe in, in some sections of April Showers, there's actually live footage of water kind of superimposed over it and augmented with paint to make it fit in with the animated world. Um, so the, the kind of went above and beyond in terms of, yeah, applying effects. And it's all in service of making it look realistic right? Mm. It's all in service of, of making it look like live action footage. And I think, again, Bambi is one of the films where that's justified because you could not film this in live action. It just feels like a really impressive feat. You can feel them stretching themselves. And I really like that it feels realistic to an extent, but it also the sort of exaggerated colours of it feel akin to what they're trying to do with the animation as well, of it being a gorgeous piece of animation, but that has a sense of realism to it. So if the plot, as much as there is one, is moving forward, the next sort of big thing is Bambi's mum taking him to the meadow. And this whole sequence is about foreshadowing. We we find out that there are other deer in the forest. We see them going into the meadow for the first time. Bambi doesn't really understand the implications of, of heading out into the wide open. He has that warning from, from his mum that you must never rush out on the meadow. The coast is clear and they frolic together. It's really sweet, but... This was a point for me, knowing that Bambi's mum is going to get shot, going, 
is this it? Is this going to be it? Oh, God. But yeah, it really sets up that sense of danger. You really feel that where he's grown up has been generally a pretty safe place, that there have been scary things, scary moments in the night and the howling wind. But actually, especially with his mum there, everything's going to be okay. That changes. It feels like a really changing moment for him when he goes onto the meadow. He sees that there's a wider world out there, but actually that wider world holds a lot of danger that he's not had to confront before. And as well as the danger, it also holds Feline. This is where he meets Feline. So his mm. horizons in so many ways are opened by this visit to the meadow. Yeah, I think visually the film gets that across really well before Bambi steps out onto the meadow. Like when you, when his mother first steps out onto the meadow, it's shrouded in mist. It's almost um, impressionistic landscape of just mist. And, you know, Bambi can't see through it. Bambi, so we can't see through it. And now as he gets into the meadow and he meets up with Feline and he meets up with um, the rabbits and everything, then we'll start to see it in more detail and we'll get some brighter colours shining through. So the film's kind of starting to tip its hand into a more expressionistic style of animation that it's kind of rejected up until this point, which we get our first real jolt of when the herd of deer start to run away from man, because this is our first encounter with man, although he remains off screen. And there's an excellent sequence, a really kind of underrated sequence, I think, whereby there's a herd of deer who start to hurtle away and Bambi's kind of lost amongst them. Again, similar to the Wildebeest Stampede and the Lion King, but there are kind of flashes in which these deer only appear in silhouette or appear as like very minimalistic, single colour figures running past which disorients us in the same way as Bambi is disoriented and it also gets across the, the sheer fear um, that they all feel from this figure who we as an audience have not been introduced to yet. I think that sequence does a really good job of of amping up the horror, of building the tension that the crows are cawing, you're hearing the gunshots, there's all this chaos of all these other deer running away. Ultimately, obviously, Bambi and his mum are okay in that moment. It's, a, it's sort of a fake out. You have a moment where you go, oh, has, it, has someone been shot? And actually, it's all okay. But it really makes that threat of the hunters very real. And the aftermath of that with Bambi's mum, that warning that she gives him, or that explanation that she gives him, is so simple, but it's so ominous. Man was in the forest. That gave me chills. Yeah, I mean, how do you feel about man as a character, as a presence in this film? Just the worst. Man <laughs> needs to stop. We shouldn't be hunting. I get the sense that this is kind of... When you see their camp later on, obviously it's very from very far away. You get the sense that this is a quite oldie time, so maybe they really did need to hunt these deer to eat. But um, I was like, ah, oh, I don't know. You're so aligned with the with the deer that when you get this threat of intrusion of of hunting, and like I said, I'm not a fan of hunting. I don't think you're a fan of hunting either. Not a fan these of days, hunting. we don't need to hunt in that sense. So I was viewing it from that perspective, maybe than more of a historical perspective when there would have been i guess actual need to hunt but it feels cruel it feels dangerous in that moment you're so worried for bambi and his mum i think also then with that perspective of knowing that she is going to get shot at some point was was very worried don't like man there is no redemption for man Man is just this destructive force that's going to come back. Yeah, he's not humanised at all. There are several other Disney films in the far future that we're going to get to where the villain is a human hunter and the heroes are animals. And those characters have faces and personalities and aspects about them that we can understand and sometimes are even likeable, but not with this figure. He's one of the great unseen 
figures one of the great unseen villains in cinema. The AFI voted Man as the 20th greatest villain in all of cinema, um, being out the likes of the Terminator, Jack Torrance, (laughs) Travis Bickle, and Hans Gruber were beaten down by Man, (laughs) who you don't even see. Stick the Terminator in the forest and see what happens. There'd be be nothing left. It'd be gone. Obviously, that whole sequence sets up a lot of what's to come. At this point, the seasons shift. You have that moment. Somebody says, I think it's Bambi's mum, says, winter has come. I was like, oh, that's such a Game of Thrones moment. (laughs) Maybe that's where George R.R. Martin took it from. (laughs) Um, And he's obviously got stag sigils in Game of Thrones as well. Mm. that was another moment that, as I was watching it, really hit me. They're like, oh, this is so much like an extended Fantasia segment. But before the the harshness comes, we have a really fun sequence with Thumper and Bambi on the ice. That's something very memorable. I didn't know it intimately, but I know that sequence pretty well. As much as I couldn't sanction Thumper's buffoonery for the most part, I did like his description of the ice as the water's stiff. Like that felt like a very childlike <laughs> way of trying to explain how ice works. And that's a really fun novel sequence of them playing around in the snow, playing around on the ice. But that gives away to a much darker moment where Bambi's mum obviously has to protect him from the winter. He's saying, oh, I'm cold, I'm hungry. You feel after they've had that fun experience that that the harshness is starting to set in. And his mum sort of comforts him by saying it won't last long, but that comes just before she dies. And it feels like actually there's another meaning to that of it won't last long, that I'm still here with you and you're going to have to get used to mm. what the winter is like because you're going to have to see it out for yourself. So how did you personally react to this, the first in a long line of Disney parental deaths? I'll be totally honest. I was kind of desensitized to it just because I knew it was coming. It hits hard. Obviously, they do it in an interesting way where she's saying, faster, Bambi, don't look back, keep running. And he keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And then suddenly she's not there anymore. And you're aware that you've heard a gunshot. But I think it's good that you don't see her get shot. It it adds to the sort of the feeling of the the terror of when you're a kid and you're lost and you're like, oh, where's my mum? And... For the majority of us in that situation, it's fine. She's just, I don't know, over in the other aisle of the supermarket. But for Bambi, that's not the case. I think it's really effective. It didn't hit me emotionally because I just knew it was coming and it's such a famous moment. I mean, they, there is that sting where he goes, we made it, because he hasn't realised mm. that she hasn't. Yeah, that's part of the reason why you don't see it happen as well, because we're, you know, we're here the gunshot. And again, any, especially any adult will know what's happened, mm. but... We may be holding out hope at this point up until the great prince tells us that you can't be with your mother anymore. I think the other reason it didn't really hit me emotionally is that the film surprisingly doesn't give you a huge amount of time to feel that. And one of my issues with it was actually maybe they weren't over sentimentalizing it. Maybe they didn't want to dwell on it for the younger audience, but you don't really feel that loss because as soon as she's dead, his dad comes in and says, you're coming with me. And then suddenly, bang, he's a teenager. He's grown up. You've shifted forward several months in time. So you don't get to feel that loss through Bambi. And that's the way yeah. you're really going to feel it because she's not, other than his protector and nurturer, she's not massively fleshed out as a character. You're sad because of the implications on Bambi. But actually, you never really see him be affected by that loss. So I didn't feel his loss other than that initial sting because 
they sort of gloss over it in a way that I, I wish they hadn't. And I feel like when you compare it to Dumbo, that's even more starkly apparent. Because I think especially compared to Dumbo, you don't even really get to spend much time with the two of them together, just bonding and having fun. You know, there's a couple of really well-pitched scenes in the first half of Dumbo where it's just him and his mother playing. And then when she gets locked up, obviously not even killed, you feel that loss so much harder because they've set up that relationship quite well and quite economically. And in this, like it's like most of the life lessons he learns, he learns from Thumper. You know, it, mm. I'm not not trying to diss his mother, not that she's a deadbeat parent or anything, but <laughs> that relationship doesn't shine through as well as it does in Dumbo. And in Dumbo, you spend a lot more time with him um, reflecting on his loss. And obviously you get the baby mind scene where he's standing outside the prison uh, which is incredibly affecting as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that the whole film sort of skips forward quite a bit here. And this is, like you said, the coming of age part coming in because at this point, Bambi and Thumper and Flower, they all start to fall in love. They start to feel their, I don't know, instincts kicking in to, to pair up, to find a mate. It's quite funny how that plays out, that they sort of all fall off one by one. This is a moment that is actually very cartoony. Yeah, it's the only real cartoonal flourishes in the film. Flower sees a lady skunk and he sort of goes stiff as a board and flips over backwards and the same thing effectively happens with Thumper. It doesn't really do that with Bambi and Feline because when they see each other, it's kind of a dream sequence of them frolicking among the clouds which plays into what they were told about love that it feels like you're walking on air. From that dream sequence, you get one of the most visually impressive sequences in the film, which is when there's actually another stag that is trying to get with Feline, and Bambi has to fight him off. And in that fight, the colours go much more impressionistic, the scenery turns really abstract, the lush pastoral feel of the film totally goes away and it becomes this sort of quite intense light show of rippling muscles and these quite violent red backgrounds. It feels like an epic painting. You know, you see this sort of yeah. old timey paintings of, of deer, of stags having a fight and it all being all clash and blood and horns. It reminds me of like Greek and Roman classical heroes. It looks like a pin and you might see of Hercules on the mm. side of a vase or like a, a Renaissance depiction maybe of, um, of these classical heroes with ripple and muscles. It situates you within this conflict as it appears to the deers because this is something that happens regularly in the animal kingdom, right? Male animals are always fighting over mates. And I think this kind of, by situating you in Bambi's shoes again, and maybe in Feline's shoes as well as an observer through this kind of expressionistic animation, it gets across how pivotal a moment this is in Bambi's life. Like it might just be an everyday thing that's happening out there all the time, but it's like for Bambi, this is the first real interpersonal conflict he's ever been a part of. And he has to fight for something and he has something that he wants to fight for. Which is which is interesting as well in in Feline, and he wins that fight. He overcomes his enemy. Him and Feline are living happily until man enters the forest again, and it all goes tits up. So the animals have to flee further into the forest to try and survive. There's a moment where Bambi runs to try and find Feline, and 
Feline is gone. They've just missed each other. It has a sort of slight Shakespearean edge to it, where they're like both trying to find each other in the forest, mm. and there's a real sense of panic to that whole sequence when all the pheasants are there, realizing that there are hunters in the forest, and they're all saying to each other, "Don't fly, don't fly!" And one of them freaks out and flies off, and you're like, "God, you're gonna get shot!" And it gets shot straight away. That is terrifying. Yeah. That is a horror movie. When man approaches in this film, it becomes a horror movie, and those birds cower. And you call them pheasants, Ben. I'm worried that they might be your precious quills. No! <gasps> Those I are the think, quails! I think that might be one of your baby quills getting shot there. No, I'm just instantly rejecting that. I cannot handle, I can't handle that emotional <laughs> right, loss. We'll call them pheasants. We'll pheasants. Call them. I'm, not a, I'm not an ornithologist. <laughs> you, we'll call you get, it Do you get pheasants, pheasants in North America? Ah, let's say yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> I do have a soft spot for pheasants as well, so that's not much better. Yeah. It becomes a horror film. There's this piercing, like, simplistic three-note refrain that I think is very reminiscent of the Jaws soundtrack. I wouldn't be surprised if it was an influence on John Williams. And you really feel the terror that these animals experience from the oncoming of man. Yeah, because it's not just man that they have to run from. It's the dogs. Man's mm. dogs dashing through the forest, and they become a sort of blur of motion and teeth and snarls. Um, and that sort of leads you to the big climactic moment of the film, which, as far as I'm aware, hasn't really crossed over into the pop cultural consciousness, which is kind of interesting because this is Bambi and Feline having to try and survive. The forest is burning down because man's camp catches on fire and it, it starts to burn down the whole forest. Bambi gets shot. What the hell? Didn't know that Bambi got shot. And this whole climactic sequence, I think it's interesting that it is really impressive, but I think because you don't have that time and investment in Bambi and Feline as a couple, you don't feel the weight of it as much as you do of the of Bambi and his mum. That relationship doesn't feel as fleshed out. So it's you feel the wider implications of it on the forest, on forest life of man being this destructive force rather than on a character level of Bambi and Feline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it tries to bring it back to Bambi as a character throughout, but I think overall the fire is another example and perhaps the defining example in the wider context of the film of this idea that it's a film about the forest and it's a film about all the animals that live there, not just Bambi specifically, because that is the level on which we suffer this loss even though most everybody that we actually care about makes it out alive. Mm. I mean, it's such a hellish vision, the, the forest fire, especially because we've spent so long in the forest, in these gorgeous, lush, pastoral environments, then to see it all engulfed in flames, to see everything burning down, to see the characters trapped by fire. They're having to work out how to escape from it because everywhere they turn, there are more flames erupting. It's, um, it's quite a vision. But ultimately, like you said, all of our heroes are okay. Bambi gets shot, but then he sort of walks it off, which <laughs> like, there's a period where he's sort of limping for a while. And then his dad's just like, get up. And he just gets up and he's okay. But they just escape, even though the whole forest is on fire. And after that sequence, we skip forward in time again. And the cycle is complete Thumper has kids, Flower has a kid and named it Bambi, which I thought was a cute touch. And we return to the birth of a prince or princes because Feline has had two fawns. And the camera pans up once again to the big rock. And it's not just the great prince of the forest that is on the rock this time. Bambi is there too. And we hear again the strains of love is a song that never ends. One simple theme repeating. And that hit me so hard. I, I just thought the ending of this film was so spine-tingling. 
that even just that line, one simple theme repeating, I know it's on the nose, but the fact that you are seeing these images again, but with this character who you've spent the last 70 minutes with, I thought was so effective. Yeah, so we do return, we do highlight right at the end this theme of the cyclical nature of the forest, because we've also not only are these fawns being born, that rhymes, but we're also returned to the springtime again. So we're at the same point in the year. I think about a year seems to have passed, or maybe a year passed between Bambi being born and Bambi maturing, and then another year passed before he had kids. I don't know. I'm not a zoologist. My doctorate is not in zoology. I think I've pointed this out before. <laughs> I do have a friend who has a doctorate in uh, zoology, so I'll ask him. I'll find right. out how. Because to me, it feels like it, one year doesn't feel like enough time for him to be big boss of the forest. I haven't managed to get in the point in my notes where I said Bambi's back and his balls have dropped because he, he returns <laughs> after his mum dies and they flash forward in time. He's like, hello, I'm back. I am Bambi. <laughs> and that really caught me off guard for a minute. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like that journey from him from literal baby to big boss of the forest with his dad yeah it feels like that has to be more than a year for me okay but it also as i was saying emphasizes the kind of macro the fact that the forest has experienced a cycle the forest has experienced a very real cycle of rebirth because it's having to regrow itself after the fire as well yeah so time must have passed in quite a significant way for the amount of damage from the forest for things to have either Mm. grown back or for them to have found a new area of the forest that wasn't affected there we go we've found the theory and uh, i mean it's it's the circle of life some might say who knows if we'll ever come back to that phrase Now we've reached Discarded, the section of the show where we go back to the original tale that the filmmakers drew from, looking at all the weird, creepy things that Disney took one look at and thought, we're not doing that. Sam, we spoke a little bit at the beginning of the episode about the source story for Bambi, the novel by uh, Felix Sultan, the hunter, which Mm. seems like a weird move. Uh, How different is Bambi in its Disney form from its book form? It seems quite close. I mean, I haven't read the novel. This is kind of a maybe a, a spoiler for the rest of the episodes of the podcast, but I don't read novels. I'm I'm, I'm over it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did a university degree in literature and I haven't read a novel since then, so I'm not reading any novels to prepare for this <laughs> podcast, unfortunately. But I have read the Wikipedia synopsis and the novel seems to be a bit darker, a bit more melancholy, but there's no kind of drastic, like incredibly grim or violent moments that have been taken out in the way that you'll find there are a lot with like the grim fairy tales and stuff. The characters of Thumper and Flower were added for the Disney films. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so we'll get an early insight into that process that Disney would stick to right up until the present day, really. But it, it was like especially prominent in the 1990s of like adding little sidekick characters, little archetypes, like Disney-esque archetypes to these stories, jamming them in there. Especially those mostly being animals. Um, yeah, exactly. all, the, all the characters in this are animals. So in lieu of Thumper and Flower in the novel, there's a character called Gobo. <laughs> which is Gobo. Gobo. It's a very funny name for a not very funny character. <laughs> right. So Gobo is, I think he's like a kind of childhood friend of Bambi's. He's another deer who mm. gets captured but not killed by man and kind of raised by man. Um, he's presumed dead by his friends. And then when Bambi gets older, he meets Gobo once again back in the forest 
but he's he's been kind of tagged and released, and he he, he almost kind of worships man. It seems to be almost in a kind of religious way. And then when the hunters attack again in the novel, Gobo's like, "Oh, it's okay. They won't shoot me. I'm Gobo. <laughs> Everyone loves Gobo." <laughs> and Gobo gets shot. Oh my god! So why did they capture him and let it go? It feels like that's quite an allegorical part of the story. Whereas what we talked about with what they were trying to do is present obviously a heightened version, but like a semi-realistic life cycle of of the forest so it's weird maybe that's why disney decided not to include that because i can't understand for plot reasons why man would capture a deer if they're not going to kill it and eat it and then just release it again I don't know, maybe that's a thing that hunters do. Maybe it's a bit like kind of researchers rather than hunters. Mm. You know how like people tag swans right. and stuff and then release them back into the wild? I don't know. But if um, Salter was a hunter, then I guess he's trying to explore different facets of that world, different facets of man's relationship with nature. There's, there's a character called Cowslip who plays a similar role in Watership Down, for example. So it's like a, another exploring different elements of that relationship through different types of characters, I guess. So Gobo was a no-go. That's a shame. Gobo was a no-go. The fire was added for the film, I guess, to give it a climax, to give it kind of a cinematic climax. And so we, we talked a bit about how at the end of Bambi, you get this sense of like the cyclical nature of the story because you get that quite affecting shot of Bambi and his father looking on as Bambi's uh, children, twins, are born. And the novel kind of goes a little bit harder on that, which is why, why I use the word melancholy, because there's this kind of epilogue in the novel in which Bambi, as an adult, meets his children. And from what I've read, I haven't read the novel, it <laughs> seems kind of ambiguous as to whether they are his children, like he kind of they don't re- really recognize each other. Ooh. It says, I'm, look, I'm just going to quote Wikipedia, okay. here we are, don't do this in your essence, kids. <laughs> So it says, Bambi meets with twin fawns who are calling for their mother and he scolds them for not being able to stay alone. So it doesn't say they're his fawns, mm. but they are twin fawns. So I, I think you get this sense that a bit like Bambi's dad in the film and in the novel as well, Bambi has become this kind of absentee father whose role as the prince of the forest is a much bigger part of his life than raising his children. And then there's this, I think that that is quite an affecting moment, though, of like being reunited with your children and like half recognizing them and and kind of giving them a little bit of advice, maybe the same way that you would any lost fawn and sending them off on the way. And maybe that's a more realistic. Again, I don't know much about deers, <laughs> but maybe that's a more realistic depiction of what deer parenthood <laughs> is like. Maybe who knows? He's a he's a bad dad. We're going to get to Bambi 2 shortly. Uh, I can't wait to find out what Bambi 2 is about. But uh, so for for the moment, what did critics have to say about Bambi? Was this a a critical hit? Okay, yeah. So this was a less well-received, less universally well-received than any of Disney's other films to that point. Really? What is the sort of weakest reviews of the lot? Yeah, or the the most mixed reviews of the lot. I guess Fantasia was kind of contentious as Mm. well. Pinocchio was to an extent, but with Bambi, people really seem to feel like... I think we talked a bit last time about how Dumbo kind of captured for us and for a lot of people watching at the time the magic of the older Disney films, the magic of kind of the Mickey Mouse era, the Silly Symphony era. It's a bit more carefree than like the more dramatic Pinocchio and the higher aspirations of Fantasia. Mm. Well, there's kind of a split even within the critics of Bambi because some people think it moved too far away from that. 
and some people think it's actually a bit too sappy and sentimental. That sort of tallies with what we were saying earlier on, that it is a weird shift in tones. On the one hand, the sort of Disney characters that it brings in, the your thumper and your flower are quite kiddie it plays at quite a kiddie register whereas actually the overall themes and the sort of approach the more mature approach they take kind of seems to work more for adults and it doesn't necessarily meld those two together so i think the more realistic animation style contributes to that as well and uh, kind of animation theory not necessarily contemporaneous critics but animation theorists and scholars in the years since have cited bambi as an example of we're losing the kind of unique properties of animation obviously we, it is a film that couldn't really be made in live action but you're losing the like transformative properties of animation less cartoony like you know probably yeah yeah if that reached its apex in like Pink Elephants on Parade for Disney, well, they're moving completely in the opposite direction here. So I've got the New York Times saying that in his search for perfection, Mr. Disney has come perilously close to tossing away his whole world of cartoon fantasy. Oh, blimey. Wow, they really dunked on him there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a personal yeah. attack. The, uh, the New Republic say that the new Disney cartoon Bambi is interesting because it's the first one that's been entirely unpleasant. Wow, it's not entirely unpleasant. There's like 30 minutes of pleasantness before the unpleasantness <laughs> kicks in. And saying so he has given up fantasy, which was pretty much the magic element of his films. And the New York Post says, it's a much more serious and elemental showing of nature. As such, there is some question about its appeal to the very young. Its greatest appeal will be for thoroughly adult minds. So even though some people are saying it's kind of too sappy and sentimental, some people are also saying there's very little for children to even enjoy here. Wow, so it does sound divisive and interesting that it sort of got these reactions that spoke to opposite ends of the spectrum of of what people thought about it. I mean, all of these early Disney films are seen as classics now, but Bambi really is seen as a classic. I think I wonder if it's more fondly thought of now than it maybe was um, at the time. But what about the box office receipts then? Did it did it pull in viewers, even if it had a bit more of a mixed reception with the critics? Did did people flood to see Bambi on release? Yeah, so it was it was another one of those Disney films, kind of like Pinocchio, that made quite a lot of money, relatively speaking, but did not manage to make back its budget or to justify its very lengthy production process. Right. Uh, so again, figures, uh, like really accurate figures are hard to come by for these films, but I've got a source that says the budget was around $1.7 and it made back $1.6 million. So it made more money than Dumbo, according to that source, but it still wasn't enough to kind of make back its budget or justify the time spent on it, which was kind of very important going into the precarious position that Disney was about to go into. So it wasn't a total loss, but it, it wasn't a huge barnstorming success of the kind that the studio really needed at that point. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting hearing you, you, you sort of teed me up for this, that this whole era of Disney is is the rise and fall. It, every film is a sort of a financial gamble in a way, and some of them paid off and some of them didn't. It's interesting, obviously, Dumbo, like you said, was made sort of fast and cheap. And you can sort of tell, but also it has a charm to the animation. Going on from here, I don't want to spoil things too much because I don't really know, but did, did they stick to the Bambi style as well of spending years on a project and going really painstaking, taking a lot of time and a lot of money after this? Did, did they go back to that or did the contrasting fortunes of Bambi and Dumbo shift them down the Dumbo route going forward? Uh, well, the actual kind of the 1940s, uh, as we'll, we'll talk about in subsequent weeks, were very much focused around making fast and cheap 
films to the extent that, as we'll see, they didn't actually make a full-length film again for eight years until 1950. So that the 1940s are populated after Bambi by these like anthology films where several like cheaper shorts are packaged together as one picture. And then even in the 1950s, where they were enjoying quite a bit of commercial success again, they wouldn't undertake something quite like Bambi until uh, Sleeping Beauty came out in 1959. So it, it took a long time for them to gear up to make an as ambitious a project as this again. Mm. So that's what the critics thought. That's kind of how audiences responded. But how do you feel about Bambi in the end, Ben? And what would you give it out of five? So as I said early on, this was probably actually my favourite film that we've watched so far. I, I had my issues with it. Like I said, I think it plays at a slightly weird register of bits of quite kiddie and bits are probably too mature for kids but overall it was probably the film that affected me the most i found that coming of age cycle the cyclical nature of the film overall actually really powerful i thought the animation was was incredible um we, we sort of shouted some of the shots out earlier on but there's some really yeah ambitious interesting techniques and things going on here that i've really gravitated towards again I think so many of these films that we've watched so far are really interesting in a historical context. I'll be honest, I'm not going to be there on a Friday night cracking open a beer, opening a pizza and thinking (laughs) tonight is Bambi night. But this is my favourite of the films so far and I think I would give it a solid four stars. It misses out on that extra oomph because of because of Thumper and and Flower, who those characters just didn't work for me. But on the whole, yeah, amazing film. Really impressive. Yeah, for me, I would give this a solid four stars as well, um, which puts it, like I said earlier, kind of towards the bottom of the pack in terms of these first five films, even though I, I do love all of these first five films in different ways. But I think Bambi is just the one that it just doesn't hit quite as hard as me. Yeah, I think the emotional beats are there and I love the way that it portrays the cyclicality of nature and everything like that. I love its scope and its ambition, but it just doesn't quite hit me like in the heart or in the funny bone or really in the, oh, damn, this is impressive and imaginative born in the way that uh, the other films that we've looked at have or certainly in the way that Fantasia and Dumbo and Pinocchio do. Fair enough. Well, we found the the Disney film already that I like more than you do. So that's that's a big one ticks off the list. Um, yeah. But now it's time for the section we call Lasting Legacy, because a Disney movie is never just a Disney movie. In the world of straight-to-DVD sequels, theme parks, live-action remakes, crossover movies and more, there's a whole universe out there for each character. So Sam, what is the lasting legacy of Bambi? I mean, right, let's talk Bambi 2, because we've finally reached a film that has a straight-to-DVD sequel, and they all sound mad. So how <laughs> how off-the-wall is Bambi 2? Okay, so... Yeah, I'm really glad we've finally reached one of these directed DVD <laughs> We've been sequel waiting for it. Movies. I have seen very few of them. I've seen a small handful of these sequels. So I am using this podcast as an excuse mm-hmm. and Disney Plus as an excuse to go back and watch them all. Ben, what do you think Bambi 2 is about? If you had to guess, what would your Bambi 2 be? So what it tees up, obviously, at the end of the first film is is Bambi's a dad now. Like you said, maybe he's a bit of an absentee dad because he's positioned quite literally in the same spot that his father was and he never really knew his dad until his mum died. So there are two little fawns who are presumably going to grow up. Does the cycle repeat? Does, does Feline 
meet a sticky end at the hands of man and then the fawns have to go and live with bambi and he's just a bit of a crap dad is it like any number of like 80s or 90s man stuck with children comedy oh no i'm inept looking after the kids you know what ben you're quite close but at the same time you're very far off (laughs) okay so bambi 2 is actually more of like bambi 0.5 bambi 2 is a midquel or an interquel yeah yeah bambi 2 is about it's set in that period in that time skip from when bambi's mother dies and when we revisit him as an adult no way because that was one of my big criticisms of the film it was like you just skip over the grief so what bambi 2 is a bleak emotional character drama about bambi coming to terms with his mum's death meeting the father that he never really met trying to process this huge shift in his life as he becomes a teenager that sounds fascinating <laughs> again you're kind of half right <laughs> uh, so bambi 2 starts with the scene of bambi's mother dying or it starts in the immediate aftermath Jesus. so you get a kind of you get a redo of the moment where he runs into his dad and his dad says sorry your mother can't be with you anymore and then you fade out and you fade back in and it's just happy fun times again with flower and thumper we do not process the grief whatsoever (laughs) that is not that's that's not happening here that's not this film's concern the grief has been shoved somewhere deep and dark (laughs) into a box (laughs) that will never be into bambi's soul so you do get uh, basically the premise of the movie is Bambi's dad has to raise Bambi. So Bambi's dad, who up until this point has been a deadbeat father, now <laughs> has to take control. And he tries to foist Bambi off onto some of the other doors and Bambi keeps kind of coming back to him and Bambi wants to be raised by his dad, but his dad's not having any of it. His dad, by the way, is portrayed by Sir Patrick Stewart. No way. Oh, wow. Well, they so that's got a the big get. names out. That's a big get. Yeah. You get Patrick Stewart. It's Groundhog Day as well. Not as in things keep repeating itself, but just by happenstance, it's Groundhog Day. (laughs) Now that would be a twist. (laughs) Does a a groundhog predict the weather at some point? Does it? A groundhog does predict the weather. That's the first act of this movie is, is the groundhog predicts the weather. But yes, wouldn't it be incredible if Bambi had to keep reliving this moment over and over again until he came to terms with his mother's death? That would be a great film. Yeah, or until he can like finally impress his dad or something and stop his dad from trying to palm him off on anybody else that happens to yeah. be walking past. And the other thread in this movie is we get the origin story of one of the most mysterious characters from the original Bambi, Rono. Rono? Oh my god, is that the owl? Rono? No. <laughs> the owl is in it. The owl is, is okay. kind of mates with Bambi's dad and his associate and trying to foist Bambi off onto other women. <laughs> no, Rono is the deer who Bambi has a scrap with. Oh, no way. The rival. Rono. Rono. Which, that's a name that comes from the book. Okay. <laughs> They didn't, yeah. So I think that there's this like minor character from the book called Rono. Disney and Bambi didn't even give him a name or a backstory or anything. But in this movie, we get his name and his backstory. He's just a little shit. Can I say that? You can say that. <laughs> He's just a horrible, horrible child who he wants to be friends with Bambi, but he, he just can't get past his just absolutely shocking personality. And he alienates himself from all of Bambi's friends by just being an absolute douche. He almost gets Bambi killed when the hunters attack, and yeah, it's just 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 a bad dude. I'm glad he got pushed off those rocks and what uh, maybe broke some bones or something in Bambi. Pushed off the rocks and died. Sounds a bit harsh, but um, he probably <laughs> well, did. He did I- 
I always thought he died in Bambi. I always thought Bambi took a life, which I yeah. <laughs> which is like, oh, well, Bambi takes a life, but I actually rewound it this time, and mm. you see him get up and walk away when right. Bambi pushes him off that cliff. He's like Batman. He's non-lethal, but he's like close to the edge. He doesn't really care yeah. either way, but he, he tells himself that he's, he's non-lethal. Uh, so Bambi 2, I will give it this. It fills a useful gap. It is worthwhile making a movie about that period in Bambi's life that we don't get to see. I don't think it pulls it off completely. And oh my God, the songs are absolutely insipid. It's like kind of pop country rock crap. It's similar to Bambi in that the characters don't sing the songs. They play this like choric role, but they are really saccharine and difficult to listen to. Yeah, Bambi 2, not good. I can't just give it one star because I've got no idea what kind of stuff we're in for. Um, now let's let's give it a two. There we go. So, what about um, other sort of? Is there is there a theme park presence for for Bambi? And do you think? Obviously, we're talking about the fact that there were thoughts to make a live action version that wasn't going to be Disney, and then actually it sort of came to Disney because they could only really do it in animated style. Do you reckon they'll revisit this either? Well, as a quasi live action sort of CGI whatever you want to call that technique that they <laughs> use with Lion King. I know you beef with the fact that the recent Lion King gets jotted down as, as live action as when it is action, all though. animated. It is all computer generated. Yeah, that's a serious bugbear of mine is that people call mm-hmm. that movie live action. It's, it's worthwhile to note that that's how it's being presented and marketed, mm-hmm. but especially when you've got like Disney not submitting it for animation awards and stuff like that because it's a, a supposedly live action film. But anyway... Um, <laughs> we'll get to that in like 50 episodes time. <laughs> yeah, so Bambi has been mooted that it's going to get the Lion King treatment and adapted in that way. And you know, maybe there will be some live action footage in this. Maybe they'll use like humans to play man although that would be a betrayal of the fact that man is an unseen presence in the film but would you be surprised if i told you that that would not be the first live action bambi movie produced by disney i would be very surprised well ben there is or there was a very brief short-lived Bambi Cinematic Universe. What? Yeah, the BCU. It's the BCU. The Bambi. Yeah, hundred percent. So Felix Sultan wrote more than one book in the universe of Bambi. He wrote a sequel about Bambi's children, and he wrote a kind of spin-off about a squirrel called Perry who lives in the same forest as Bambi, and Bambi is kind of tangentially mentioned. And Disney. So I have to go off on this, another tangent here, which is to say that. In the 1940s and 50s, Disney started to make his name as a documentarian of sorts and by producing some of the first like big budget nature documentaries, which went on to win loads of Academy Awards, and they were called The True Life Adventures. And then he got bored of doing True Life Adventures and says, what if we made a True Life Fantasy? What if we went and filmed footage of woodland creatures and then assembled them into some kind of story? And what if were based it on proven source material, which is the work of Felix Sultan. So they made a live action film of the novel Perry featuring live animals and starring in a cameo, the adult Bambi. So this is a sequel spin-off to Bambi in which Perry's running through the forest doing whatever she does and Bambi pops out. It's a stag and he's got his two twins. So in this version of Bambi, he's a good dad. Nice. He's watching over the twins and the, the narration because this is all done through narration. He doesn't give the characters voices in in Perry. The narration says, oh, look, it's Bambi, the great prince of the forest, as if it's some kind of celebrity that's wandered (laughs) on. 
Um, and there's like two shots of Bambi, but it's there and he's named as Bambi. This is Bambi. There is a Bambi cinematic universe. That is incredible. That is an amazing fact that I plan to pull out at any opportunity I can. Wow, that's so good. But there is, aside from the BCU, uh, <laughs> do I understand Bambi's not really in any Disney theme parks? There's no like shooting range or there's no like fun forest ride or <laughs> anything like that. Yeah, there's no attractions based on Bambi. There are some, it's not like the pretend he doesn't exist. You can sometimes get merchandise in the stores. Uh, there are There are murals painted in certain places of Bambi characters. There's a big mural in... I think it's it's Shanghai Disneyland of Disney characters who represent the animals of the Chinese Zodiac and Thumper is the rabbit in that mural. And Thumper appears, Thumper and Miss Bunny, his paramour, appear as walk-around characters sometimes in the parks and costumes. But that's about it. There's no kind of Bambi installation or ride or show or anything like that there's areas of the park where you could have that there's like uh, certainly in florida there's a place called critter country which is where uh, splash mountain resides and where there's a winnie the pooh ride and things like that so it's meant to be like an animal filled forest oh and the country bears the country bears musical showcase is there as well so it's all these like forest creatures and stuff is that kind of environment but they've never put any bambi attraction in there and i guess it's because as you kind of hinted at with your shooting gallery idea <laughs> maybe there's not that many like tasteful th- things to do with bambi that would be both tasteful and exciting what do you mean it's not tasteful come on <laughs> 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 but even like if you did a dark ride like they do with Pinocchio mm-hmm. and Snow White where you travel through the film, it, it, that's pretty boring. You're just riding through a forest and then there's Bambi and then his mom gets shot. It's, it's not great. Then it yeah. suddenly becomes a log flume of tears. And uh, wow. Well, I have learned so much about Bambi in this episode. I am I am honestly just overwhelmed at the idea of the BCU. That is amazing. But that is it for this week's class. Join us again next week when instead of another seminar, we will be presenting a short sort of wrap up of these first five Disney films, the big five, because we're heading into some interesting territory after this. Like Sam mentioned before, it's going to be a while until Disney makes another feature film. The war is about to kick off with America more strongly involved, and that brings some major changes. So we'll be heading into the first of a series of anthology collections after the uh, sort of wrap-up episode. And in that next episode proper, we're going to be covering Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you fancy dropping us a little review, we'll thank you by teaching you how to walk on ice with only a 90% chance of falling over. For now, it's goodbye from Sam. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Thanks for listening. Disneyversity is brought to you by Ben Travis and Sam Summers. Our artwork is by Ollie Gibbs and our music is by Nefetz. Follow us at Disneyversity on Twitter and Instagram and catch you for next week's class. Disneyversity.